0: So, did I mention I'm excited? I'm very excited about this message. Um, I, I think it's, a, it's an important and key um, message for us in this time uh, and season that we're in. And I, I would say as much as, uh, as this, that it's one of the keys to living a complete and content life. And so, are you ready? Ready? I want to uh, encourage you to serve the Lord And so that's simply uh, the title of the message But particularly to serve the Lord with gladness That might ring a bell to you because we're going to turn to Psalm 100 And you may have read this before We're going to read the whole Psalm All 30,000, no, five verses It's not Psalm 119 Psalm 100 And uh, I'm reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version. Uh, Yeah, you're glad it's the English Version. I I could read another language perhaps, but we're reading from the English Version. Uh, Psalm 100 verse 1 says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and bless His name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And His faithfulness to all generations. So I mentioned I want to talk about serving God. And I want you to notice there in verse 2 again, it says, Serve God. The Lord with gladness. And of course, some translations say worship the Lord with gladness, which tells us that serving the Lord is part of a lifestyle of worship. Uh, But the original Hebrew word is best translated as serve because it can also be translated into English and it is in other parts of the Bible as work or labor or to till the ground. And so, can you really work or labor with gladness? And what does it mean by serving the Lord? Well, let's look at it and look at these three parts of the verse. Serve, what we do, the Lord, who we do it for, and with gladness is how we do it. So I just want to look at each of those. First of all, let's just talk about serving. We serve, in other words, we humble ourselves. We uh, we work for God. We are willing, well, you know, the Bible tells us that the full Christian life starts by dying to ourself And so we are told that the only way to really live for God And to live our best life is to lose our life To die to ourselves, And so that involves complete surrender And that obviously is a spirit of serving To say not me but you God As John the Baptist said I must decrease, he must increase We are, we are committed to to committing our lives to Him, to losing our lives to Him, and and following Him completely, uh, to break the back of of selfishness that that is naturally strong in us all, and then to pursue a more selfless lifestyle that glorifies God. And part of bringing glory to God is uh, is is serving Him, and that's that's part of our lifestyle of worshiping um, worshiping Him. And so. But, you know, when you hear the word service or serving God, it can be sweet or sour depending on the state of our heart. And I love what uh, Charles Spurgeon said about this particular issue and this verse. He said this, Serve the Lord with gladness. It's a delightful sonnet to the spiritual mind, but to the ungodly, the careless, the unspiritual, it is flat. And dull and sounds like the grinding of labor's wheel The proud spirit of unregenerate man hears the word serve and kicks back Serve, says the man Why should I be a servant? I hate the yoke and I will not bow my neck I will be my own master, says the willful wayward soul of the man Who knows not what it is meant by obedience And has never drunk into the deep joy of submission to the Lord Serve, he says Let those do so who are calves enough to bow their neck. But as for me, I know no government but my own ungovernable will. (laughs) And so he was known as the Prince of Preachers for his lovely turn of phrase and passion in his preaching. And it's a very easy position to take. To be stubborn, to be proud, to be selfish and, uh, and to be unwilling to become a servant like Spurgeon is talking about there Because we've all got some level of inclination to that state of mind, that attitude, that position um, And yet note what he says about that kind of person They're missing out on drinking, he says, the deep joy of submission to the Lord A lot of people wouldn't think there's any joy in that But there is a wonderful, mysterious joy in submitting to the lord now compare that to the state of heart for another person that Spurgeon writes about in terms of this issue of serving god he says but to the soul that has been subdued delivered from the bondage of its own self dominion that soul that is humble teachable weaned from the world and changed into a little child the thought of service has heaven in it For such a heart remembers that in the New Jerusalem they serve God day and night, and it looks forward to perfect service as being its perfect rest. Renewed minds accept as their motto, I serve, and feel ennobled by it. And so there's a wonderful picture that service isn't a drudgery and a terrible duty, it's actually something that we're going to do in heaven, and heaven's perfection. And so he's saying here, people who pick up on that, pick up on that taste of heaven, that little whisper of what's to come and how cool it's going to be to actually serve God. So it's, it's, it, he even says perfect service is part of perfect rest. And I'll talk more about that in a little while. Um, and, so, and then he says it's, we are ennobled by the concept of service because it is a great calling, a noble calling for a Christian. Um, Of course, it's not our only calling Our identity is not based on our service So when we talk about serving God, we've got to understand Firstly, we are sons and daughters of God, right? We're not servants to get something or to earn something We are loved and accepted by God just for who we are Just the way we are And, And so we're not trying to earn our salvation We just receive that freely through God's grace, amen? So we understand that but we are also, as part of our calling, called and gifted and designed to serve, to not just you know lie about the house of God like some lazy child, not that I've ever had any children like that. Um, but uh, you know better to be involved in our own families. We want our children, you know, to do something, be involved. It's better. There's only so much bludging you can do before it gets boring. And so it's best to to get involved and we have duties and chores and that's part of family life. And so it's actually good for us. Look at what Jesus said in Mark, sorry, Matthew chapter 11. How are we going with scriptures up there? Oh, there we go. All right, good. So Jesus said, hang on, have I said Matthew? I'm sorry, my apologies, Killen. Quickly go to Mark, see if you can find Mark 11. I must have typed the wrong thing in there. Uh, or maybe I just got the total wrong reference. He said, what verses you got there? No, no, go to... All right. See, I haven't got my Bible right in front of me. I've just got the notes here. All right, come to me all you who are weary. Is that Matthew 11, 18 to 20? Uh, no, it must be Mark 11. All right. So go to Mark 11, 18 to 20, see if you can find it there. But but anyway, you guys can listen to this. Jesus, and you may know this passage, Jesus said, "'Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, "'and I will give you rest.'" And you think, oh, that sounds cool, rest. What does that mean? Doing nothing? No, quite the opposite, because look at the next part of the verse. "'Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, "'for I am gentle and humble in heart, "'and you will find rest for your souls.'" For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so the yoke, as you probably know, is this wooden device they put over animals and uh, they would put it on their necks so they could be guided by the master. And it could be towing a wagon or plowing a field or whatever. So it was designed to make the animal work, to do as they were told, to serve the master. And yet he couples that with this concept of rest and being blessed. When, they, when people come to him So look, unlike animals We have a choice As to whether we'll take on the yoke That Jesus offers us Because that, the key verse in Psalm 100 Says serve the Lord It's an exhortation Hey come on, serve the Lord But you don't have to It's, it's totally up to you you can, you can reject the yoke You don't have to put it on You can just say no To the leadership and the lordship That Jesus offers us uh, or you can do what some people do. You can kind of reluctantly take on the yoke. You can say, "Yeah, all right, okay. I, you know, I want something from God. I certainly don't want to go to hell, and I want, you know, and I want to get blessed." And I, and I, I guess he's, he knows more than I do about life. So, uh, all right. So they kind of lean into it a little, but but then they struggle their whole lives with this whole thing of control and who's in charge. And I, you know, the yoke and they resent it and they fight back to get control from god and so this is where the term stiff-necked comes from because they would put a yoke on some animals and the good ones they kind of got you know flexi necks and they're just like yeah okay sure whatever you'd say boss you know and off they go and a stiff-necked beast ox or donkey or whatever would you know hold out against it and say i don't want to go that way and the and, and the masters you know, probably going to break the neck in the end because it's it's a pain and I'm in charge and I don't want to go through love with a broken neck. And so there we have a choice whether we're going to be stiff-necked people and you see that scripture, that verse, that phrase come up in, in Bible verses throughout the, the the Bible, you know, don't be stiff-necked towards the Lord. And it was a picture of the the animals that resented and rebelled against the guidance that the Master offered them. And, um, you know, a... Another similar incorrect or poor attitude that we can easily get, some people have, is to view work as being a real pain, that all work is some kind of duty, that the work that they do during the week is only to earn the money to spend when they've got their downtime on the weekends and that's the only part of life they look forward to enjoying and they would never think about volunteering when they've got their spare time, are you kidding me? You know, and that's and that's a shame. They're really missing out because work is a key part of a rich, full, rewarding life, and uh, especially when we're working or serving the Lord. And so uh, His yoke is easy, His burden is light. We we fully surrender and let Jesus lead. He's not a hard taskmaster. He He is He's actually, and, and that's why we, we it says we find rest. We find joy in following him because he knows where we should go. And so I would prefer to plough the field, if you like, figuratively speaking, in the, you know, my part of the world with his direction than be some stiff-necked idiot beast just wandering around aimlessly and ending up with a hopeless crop in their, in their field. And so uh, he guides us where we're meant to go. And so our work for him, our service for him will lead us to fulfilling our destiny and being blessed And as we follow him, not the opposite. And there's the challenge in the attitude that some people have of thinking, no, 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 I want control and I'll have my best life by myself and we miss out. But if we surrender and say, no, I'm going to serve, then we discover our best life. So that gets on to who we're serving because it says serve the Lord, well, We're talking about the Lord Uh, And again that can be confronting to the unregenerate mind And Spurgeon again writes about this Listen to this He says The most of men are careless and indifferent to their heavenly king They remember all things except the God who made them We find them willing to serve their country To serve science, to serve literature, art, trade But as for serving God, they'll have none of it The spirit of this age is too much that of Pharaoh Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? To the philosophical mind, it seems to involve an absurdity to serve a being whom you cannot see, whose voice you cannot hear, and whose existence is unfelt by the unspiritual, unawakened mind. Therefore, the so-called wise man turns upon his heels and says that he will serve any other master sooner than serve the Lord. Well, of course, Spurgeon lived and wrote that a long time ago. But it's still true, those words, sadly, of too many people uh, who are unwilling uh, to consider the spiritual realm to go beyond what the natural, scientifically-minded, Greek sort of mind that we've been given can understand. And yet there is this entire world and there is a Lord waiting for us to serve and there is a wonderful experience to live our lives as spiritual beings still with a physical you know, structure But the physical structure is not going to stick around forever You know, we had a, 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 a wonderful, poignant Sort of bittersweet but still s- Hopefully more sweet than bitter uh, uh, Send off for Leah's grandmother Just here during the week um, For a memorial service She passed away just a little while earlier And and she, you know, died in the Lord at the age of 94 And so, one and wonderful poet and uh, you know great memories that Leah's parents shared and uh, you know beautiful time Uh, but whether it's 94 104 84 100 and you know hey you know (laughs) it's there's a limit to how much we have here on earth yes and so but we have this opportunity to serve God while we're here and on into heaven so you know if we understand that we get a, a better a good perspective on our life um then we know well it's it's right to serve god it's an honor it's an honor let me just talk about that word because we hear that sometimes and it's often used in relation to people who serve for 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 example you know after a tour of duty soldiers will will say often to their commanding officers it's been an honor to serve you and likewise the Officers will say it's been an honour to serve alongside you uh, In fact, in the USA, you may have noticed if you travel there How much respect they give to their uh, military personnel Because all over the place they'll say thank you for your service If you're a military person Hudson, our eldest, has had that experience travelling there um, With the Australian Army rugby team, they loved the fact that when they got on the plane, it was announced at one of the flights that they were the Australian rugby team, Uh, and so everyone thought they had the Wallabies on board, so they thought, we're good, we didn't think we were that good, you know, but they weren't the Australian team, the Australian Army team. But, of course, in airports, they were given special uh, treatment and they've got lounges there for military personnel. And so they are obviously, you know, expressing gratitude for the protection that these people are offering their country. Um, Keelan's great-grandfather served the, the king or the queen. No, it would have been the king. Uh, he w- had worked at Buckingham Palace. And so how cool that would be, especially if you're a royalist, to... Uh, <laughs> I hope I'm not giving too much away there, um, uh, that, you know, it would be an honour to serve queen and country, as they say. Um, but, come on, all of us here have the highest honour of, of anyone in the whole world, because you are called to serve the king of all kings. You have this privilege. And so we serve out of gratitude that God would choose us, that he would use us, that he would include us in his great plan for the world, that we could be part of his answer that he wants to bring to people. So that's kind of cool, isn't it? That's who we're talking about when we say serve the Lord. It's not working at the church or I'm just serving in a volunteer capacity generally in the community. Uh, it, it, we are we are doing it for the Lord. In fact, the Bible tells us do all our work as unto the Lord. So we're not just talking about serving on a team in church. We're talking about a spirit Of service and servant-heartedness That flows into all our occupations And all our activities in the world The Bible even says serve one another And so indirectly we're serving God When we serve other people And so it's a kind of radical If we delve into it and really take it on board It grates a little with our natural base Selfish way But it's also a wonderful discovery To just have an attitude I'm here to serve the Lord and mankind (laughs) you know just as a general outlook my philosophy is not it's all about me it's all about him it's all about others and I will be blessed along the way Um, okay so how do we serve serve the Lord well with gladness and this is a big deal because who knows it's not just what you do in life it's how you do it and you see this you go to a restaurant where and maybe you've had this experience uh, it doesn't matter how good the food is if the service is bad, if the wait staff there are rude or grumpy, you'll never go back. You know, um, you, you, it could be brought to you efficiently, the food could be excellent, but the waiter's off in his attitude, it, it just it it just puts a whole dark cloud over the entire experience, doesn't it? Ruth and I have had that experience. When you think, wow, this is you a know, fancy restaurant, and it's like, no way. this is." You know, and conversely... You think of the best experiences you've had in a wet restaurant, and it will absolutely include the staff. In fact, the food might not even be that good, but you just enjoy yourself because the staff are so friendly. And the same at work. If you work alongside someone who's positive, got a great attitude, and they enthusiastic, then you will enjoy going to work and being alongside them. And so similarly, for us, it's not just the act, act of serving God It's how we do it And we're called, told here to, to do it with gladness Not religious obligation Not with a dour, sour kind of <sighs> face or attitude It's not a spiritual tax that we've got to pay to God uh, No, we're called to serve the Lord with gladness And the Hebrew word there for gladness In our Bibles can be translated about 31 times as gladness 44 times it's translated as joy and another few times as joyful. Some translations, if it's an older one, translated as mirth. <laughs> serve the Lord with mirth and with joy. And so we are to rejoice in this opportunity to serve God. Because when you read that whole psalm, can we see, have we got Psalm 100 up there? If we see that whole psalm again, you see the, the, the joy that serving God is accompanied by. There's, he talks about the delight of entering into God's presence, of worshipping God of appreciating his goodness. We've got to fix our computer Bible. It doesn't have the Psalms in it, it seems. Um, It's all right. Technical glitch, no dramas. Um, So there's a tone that comes through that whole several verses, that whole passage that we can and should have in our life, and that's one of being excited, being joyful about serving God. And um, Because let's face it, when you serve or you get involved in something, there is a lot of satisfaction, more so than just watching on other people doing stuff, you know? Participation is better than spectating. Because, all right, so yesterday I got to watch motocross, you know, dirt bikes on the television. These are the world's best. They're amazing. They're so talented. It's incredible. But I also went dirt bike riding myself. Now, we don't have stadiums of adoring fans Screaming at us, throwing, you know, accolades our way Or sponsors giving us free motorcycles and gear Or money, or maybe the skill level is just a little lower as well uh, But it's a whole lot more fun actually out there riding Than just watching And even with the pain involved of falling off And and the mess and all It's a lot more fun And this is why... Uh, you know, old sports people I don't know if you've noticed this Or you, some of you blokes and maybe ladies have experienced this If you're watching sport when you're no longer playing it And you squirm in the seat And the muscle if We have this happen here The muscle memory kicks in And you, you see a man who's, you know, played rugby or soccer or something And they're older and they're watching it They don't just go, oh, look at that They go And the wife or someone comments What's going on? What do you mean? And, and, and you're you look around and you realize you're right i'm sort of what am i trying to dodge and to make that little kick and what is it so i'm not the only one all right i'm glad to see that um so it's a bit sad isn't it yes <laughs> oh, could have been a contender back in the day Oh, the glory days we get better our, our football days are better as we get older yeah the stories just get better and and um and we don't have the videos to prove how that we weren't as good as we say so well maybe you do I do have a friend who there weren't many videos taken back when we we're playing rugby but I have a friend who's got a fantastic clip of him scoring an amazing try and I'm sure his kids have seen that many many times um, and so look this is why retirement can be really challenging for people because they worked all their life and then suddenly bam they stop And they're not needed or they're not serving or they're not contributing. And if they're not careful, they'll get bored and lethargic and they'll lose the enjoyment of making a contribution. While they're doing what they're told is, oh, this is all the stuff that you've ever wanted to do. And it can get a little bit trivial and sad after a while. My father had this experience, sadly. He had a great career. He was a pilot and he... uh, he worked for the government, he did you know, test flights of the new 747s that Qantas would take delivery of and he had endorsements to fly every plane in the land um, and from the 747 down, which was the biggest, fanciest plane they had at the time. He got to the most senior position he could and then he got early retirement with a fantastic superannuation package. And so off he went and did all those fun things that retirees do. But it got a little bit trivial after a while, but the very best thing that happened to him was the need to go back – well, not the need, the offer to go back to work. He didn't need to. He didn't need the money. But in the late 80s, just when soon after he retired, there was this massive pilot strike. Remember that? And all the airlines were freaking out and bringing pilots from overseas and trying to negotiate with the pilots but still trying to keep the customers travelling and happy. And my father got a phone call one day from Keith Williams, who was the owner of Hamilton Island. And he had heard about my dad – and he offered him and asked him to come and fly charter flights that he was desperately trying to get his customers to get to Hamilton Island on these special charter flights. So Captain Cole got his commercial airline uniform on and off he went to work. And it didn't last long because they got the normal pilots back in after a few months. But, and like I said, he didn't need the money, but it was the best thing that ever happened to him in his retirement. Uh, Ruth's father's, you know, done an amazing job because he um, he enjoyed work so much. He was Australia's oldest practicing dentist at the age of 82, till he selfishly retired and stopped doing free dentistry for all the kids. Uh, about 10 years earlier, actually, he had talked about uh, retiring. And then he said, you know, I'm going to retire. I'm 70 now. And And then after a while he said, you know, I I don't know what I'd be doing if I didn't work. So I think I'll stay at it. And we were like, well, good for you. Good for you. you John, Because he gave us all free dental care. And so we just thought, oh, no, it's good. It's important to be involved. You love your work. That's great. Phew. But anyway, 10 years later, he finally did retire. Oh, man, dentists are expensive, aren't they? Um, And... um, and so finally, he would have more time for gardening and golf Yeah, great But you know what he did? He immediately signed up to become a volunteer for the National Parks and Wildlife Service It's a very wise and healthy decision because he realises Hey, I want to make a contribution I've got more to do than just, you know, have a game of golf And there's nothing wrong with golf But we're just talking about work-life balance and contributing and serving And the greatest form of serving and contributing and volunteering is for the Lord And it's for him and it's for building his church And loving the people that he calls us to minister to And to reach out into the community with the gospel for him And the fact is we've all got energy We've all got time to pursue stuff beyond just our normal paid work And if you don't focus and channel that energy correctly on the Lord You'll find yourself off on some crazy trivial pursuit And, uh, you know, it'll use up you'll pour your energy and your talent into something that, well, sometimes it's just a little bit sad. Like, you know, the grand design shows. I've always loved watching this bloke, you know, Kevin talking about the houses people are going to build and some are inspirational, some are quirky and fun and interesting and they've got, you know, some architectural wow factor and that's great. But sometimes it's a folly. Sometimes you see someone and they're just Searching for their purpose and they're spending too much energy, too much money, too much stress. Oh, and you think, man, you are down a rabbit trail looking for what is in the house of God. You're looking for purpose. Oh, I've got to do this. And and you think, it's just a house, man. You know, it's like just build a nice house and get on with your life and, yeah, look after the kids and all that. But sometimes, you know, they just get, get, get a little possessed by this pursuit of purpose. That's a little off track from what they would discover in the Lord, and again, I'm not saying don't build a nice house and 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 have you know other pursuits and activities and all that, but we're just talking about priorities, and uh, and let me say this, and I'll come to a close in the next hour or two, um, service and serving God doesn't mean being servile, having a lowly unimportant position or a role in life that has no influence or no impact Uh, in fact a servant heart is the foundation for Christian growth and leadership and positions of influence as Jesus told us and modeled for us and so let me show you this verse Mark chapter 10 verse 42 Jesus called the disciples together And he said to them, you know, that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. In other words, this is his disciples, his followers, you guys who want to serve in a position of leadership. Uh, He said, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant. Whoever wants to be, first of all, must be slave of all. Watch this. For even the son of man, that's Jesus talking about himself, did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus really practised what he preached. He literally gave his life in the act of incredible service for us and then had the authority and the credibility to say, this is how you should live, just as I have, this attitude. And we heard this from Carl Vaders recently Um, the American preacher who's travelling around the world now with his great message uh, of church health. And he told the story how years and years, like 20 years ago in his church, he saw uh, some youth members, some teenagers in the church, and they were just in the car park. And uh, one of them he saw walked over and picked up a piece of paper and went and put it in the bin. And he called the kid over and said... um, I want to train you to be a leader in the church. <laughs> and the kid was like, uh, "What? Why? What do you mean?" And he said, "I can." And I think the kid either maybe reflected on the fact that he had just picked up, but I just was picking up a paper, and he said, "Yeah, but that's what I'm looking for." Because he, because Carl's thing was, he says it's easier to teach a servant to lead than to teach a leader to serve, and he had just seen this kid's attitude of just not just. Hanging around looking after himself But just an awareness of Oh, I'll keep the church clean I'm just serving and making things nice And Carl focused in on that And that's 20 plus years ago That kid ended up becoming the youth leader And then becoming a pastor in the church And is now the key lead pastor of the church So Carl is the teaching pastor travelling And that teenager is now this uh, leader in the church And uh, and I thought, that's a fantastic example of what we're talking about. So you never know where serving God is going to take you. All right, let me finish with one last passage. You may have heard this before. John Joshua chapter 14. You know, this is right at the end of Joshua's life. He's lived this amazing life. And in verse 14, he says... Um, I'm sorry if we've got the wrong reference up there again, flip. All right, just listen up if you can't see, if that's not saying what I want it to say. Uh, I, so he, he, Joshua says to the people of Israel, fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped before the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land are you living. I love it. He's saying, choose yourself. You could serve them. He's saying, oh, you can be an idiot if you want to. <laughs> but then he says, look, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And I pray and believe that that will be your pledge over your family today.